It is with joy to open the Word again, Um, a different series than what we have done over the past four years, where we generally will go through a book of the Bible verse by verse. Um, We did a series last fall, The Attributes of God, in which we focused in on a different attribute of God. We just finished the book of Titus. And today, in the weeks following, we begin to look at the minor prophets. And some of you maybe have not paid much attention to the minor prophets, or maybe you've read them and say, I just don't understand uh, what they are. And each week we will take a minor prophet, and we will take a passage of scripture, and we will look at the entirety of the book in light of that scripture. And I would say this. Uh, Just because we title them the minor prophets doesn't mean that their message is minor. We call them the minor prophets because the amount of the text in uh, those books are smaller compared to uh, Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. But it would be with great error for us to think that the minor prophets do not have value for us today. Church, it is the word of God. And the word of God from beginning to end has great value for your life, and therefore we will study it. And so we begin the minor prophet study with the prophet Hosea. His his name means salvation. And he preached, he proclaimed, he spoke the word of God, specifically, uh, well, to the nation of Israel, and mainly focused on the northern kingdom during his time And when you read Hosea, if you have not read that, I encourage you to read those 14 chapters this week, and you will see it is a very graphic message, and it can be appalling as you read of the depths of sin. Some, as I talked to a few people, said, I don't know if that's the best title for a sermon, Pastor. Stop your whoring and return to the Lord. But it's a word in the Bible, and it is really a picture of the message that's given. And so it is shocking when you read of the depths of sin, when you read of the adultery of God's people. And we read of sin and we read of judgment, but we also read of the grace of God upon undeserved sinners. The theme of Hosea is God's faithful love for his covenant people in spite of their sinful idolatry. And this morning, I would like us to focus in on Hosea chapter 2. And I'm going to read right now verses 5 through 7, but we'll look at more of Hosea as we go. And as we look at that, the scriptural truth is with the theme of the book that God's faithful love endures forever for his bride in spite of their sinful idolatry. Look with me at Hosea chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns. And I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go 
and return to my first husband, for it was better for me than, than now. The word of God. To understand the book of Hosea, we have to understand God's continual message from the beginning to his people. And as we look at God's message to his people, when we read Hosea, we can have a greater understanding of God's word and his message. And so let us look at verses 5 through 7 in this first point of the depth of sin. The depth of sin. Now, if you read Hosea chapters 1 through 3, which we will look at part of this this morning, is this picture of the prophet Hosea and his life. And then when you read verses 4 through 14, you hear Hosea's preaching, his message to the nation of Israel. So as we look at the depth of sin in verses 5 through 7, if you read chapters 4 through 8, you would read of God's holiness and how holy he is and how sinful mankind is. And so the need for you to read the entirety of this book If you look at chapters 1 through 3, it's a historical account of Hosea, a prophet of God, and his wife Gomer, and their three children with names. I don't know if you ever want to name your children the same. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Before we look at this story, we must go back to what God declared to his people his covenant people who he redeemed, who he brought out of slavery in the land of Egypt. And he tells them this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 15. He says, and it says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. God says, take care, be careful, people of God, lest you forget the works of the Lord to redeem you from slavery and to set you free as his people. And with that as the background, Hosea chapter 2 verse 13 says, and I will punish her, speaking of Israel, for the feast Days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and, what's it say? Forgot me, declares 
the Lord. This is a repeated theme for the nation of Israel in which they are the covenant people of God. And as he's made this covenant and made these promises and he's given them his law where they continue to go after and whore after idols and they begin to worship other idols and they forget the Lord their God. And this is what Hosea and the message that God has given him to the people of God to declare to the people that he would call to himself. And so we must know that God, our creator, is almighty. He's the maker of heaven and earth, and he abhors idolatry. Our God is a jealous God. His hatred for idol worship burns greatly. And idolatry is sin, and God hates the adultery and the whorings of his people with a burning hatred. If you read chapters 1 through 3 of Hosea, you have a man of God who is called to live out the misery of the nation of Israel's unfaithfulness and their idolatry, and it's a shocking story. It's a shocking historical account from God's word. And it points to the relationship between God and his people. Look at Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Shocking. God tells this man, whether she already was a harlot, whether she was already living that life or not, or she begins that after their marriage, the shocking part of the call of God is go marry a woman like that. And Hosea hearing that from the Lord to go and do that is shocking The word whoredom there means adultery. It means fornication. It means prostitution. It means sexually immoral. And he says, marry a sexually immoral woman. And not only that, have children with her. And the first child, it says, is born to him as Jezreel is the name. God will sow. The two children that follow, it doesn't say his children. So you wonder, are these other children of other men that she has sought after But the second child, a daughter, is called Lo-Rohama, which means no mercy. The third child, a son, is Lo-Ami, which is not my people. And so if you think of even the names of the children, God will sow. No mercy, not my people, is God's declaration upon his people that he's called to himself who are living like Gomer in adultery. And in verse 4, 
chapter 2, God says he will have no mercy upon the children of Israel. Even though we read and we see that he will have mercy on them and he will call them back and he will do this great wonderful work. But here he says there's no mercy for the people because of their adulteries. Look back at verse 5 which we read a a moment ago in chapter 2 of Hosea. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. And when it says that she will go after her lovers, the words that are used there and the tense and the structure of the verse has this great pursuit of the other men that she would go after, describing the nation of Israel, pursuing the false gods that they worship and the idolatry. So Hosea represents God, the father, the husband who loves and cares for his wife and provides and protects his wife. This is the picture of Hosea that God created a people to be married to him. His people, the church, to be his bride. And Gomer represents Israel, the people of God, who committed adultery by pursuing relentlessly and going after other lovers. The men of Israel, the nation of Israel, were continuing continually going after and sleeping with the pagan nations that surrounded them. And God had warned them repeatedly to not do those acts. And Gomer, she did not have to leave her husband, Hosea, to prostitute herself because she lacked anything. She blatantly went after other lovers, the same thing that the nation of Israel did. And so she played the whore and prostituted herself. And church, we are just like her, acting in the same way, chasing after the idols of this world that we think will give us something greater than what God has already given us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we, too, must look to Gomer Look to the nation of Israel and say, we too have been unfaithful to God. We too have run after other lovers. Our sin before the Lord is repulsive. It's shocking. And God is a jealous God. Our sinfulness, our wickedness is not just that I lied. We're born with a sin nature And that nature in us is to blatantly continue to seek out another lover. Something that we think will give us something better in life. And so the sins that we see here in Hosea and the word of God is spiritual adultery. It's just as if there's marital adultery between a husband and a wife. And that grievous action that happens is the grievous action when we sin And as we continue to sin and continue to heap up the guilt and shame upon the sin nature that we're born with before the Lord God Almighty. Therefore, when God's people sin, they commit adultery 
and they prostitute themselves and they go after idols. And idolatry, as we've looked at before, idolatry is when you and I put anything or everything else before the Lord God Almighty. That idols can be anyone, any place, or anything that you run after for that love or that joy or whatever you're going to find from that instead of finding that in Jesus Christ our Lord. And when many of us learn this, that our idolatry will cost us more than we ever plan to pay for, and it will never give us what we were hoping to get out of it. And so the parallels in Hosea, the word of God to the nation of Israel and to the church in the world we live in today is clearly visible. Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. And when I read that, I'm like, that sounds like this world. This is not just the nation of Israel. This is today. That we, like Israel, have gone after the idols of the world. And we, too, have been unfaithful. As it says there, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love. No knowledge of God in the land. We see that today. No faithfulness to God's word. There's a decline of faithfulness to God's word. There's a decline of faithful worship to the Lord God Almighty that we see in this nation and worldwide. Here it mentions in chapter 4, verse 2, five of the Ten Commandments that are broken. It says swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds with, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. And it's a picture of of the continued growth of the moral depravity of this world and of this nation. We live in a world and specifically in a nation that likes to claim being a Christian nation, a nation that had Christians and has Christians living in it. But a nation in which we have churches which no longer hold to the authoritative word of God Nations which has churches which uphold culture greater than God's word. A nation with churches which add to the gospel of Jesus Christ by adding false, mystical, cult religions, philosophy, legalism, Gnosticism. That is description of churches in our nation today. The idolatry of Israel is happening today. Well, they worship Baal and Asherah and, and, and Moloch and they had these wooden things and stone things and, and they had fire and all these things. We don't do those things here, do we? Idols of entertainment, 
idols of pleasure, idols of wealth, idols of possession. Sometimes our families are our idols. To hear Christians in other nations say, you worship idols. And we're like, well, no, we don't. They're like, yes, you have built stadiums to worship your athletes. Where thousands and thousands of people come to celebrate and worship athletes. You're like, oh, no, we're not really worshiping them. Are we? We worship the idols of our achievements, of our education. We worship how well we do in the arts and sports and in our employment. And we worship the idols of ending our years well in retirement and joy. Israel's abomination. Some of you will say, but we're not like Israel who sacrificed their children to the idols of Molech who put their children in the fires. We would never do that ever. Yet we sacrifice children every day in this world by aborting them. We sacrifice our children every day by placing them before teachers who teach them. Do you really feel like a boy? Do you, you were born a girl, but do you really feel like a girl? We place them in front of the TV. Oh, but it's that, that, that kid movie, that show that's wonderful. And it teaches them to chase after the idols, to whore after idols. This world teaches children to be prostitutes which would go after the things of this world. So he's like, quit saying those words. My kids are in here. Now I gotta explain this. Some of you are like, we can't say those words in church. Well, I'm reading it out of scripture. Church, I've prayed this week and for weeks that we would understand the weight and the depth of our sinfulness before God so that we would understand his grace and mercy to know how great it is. And so the fate of the nation, as Hosea warns, a short time later, is the Assyrians who would come and take them away into captivity, into slavery. And all the great and wonderful things that they had that the Lord provided would be taken away for them. And I asked, why shouldn't our fate as a group of people today be similar to what happened to the northern kingdom then? Why shouldn't God do the same thing? In Hosea chapter 2, it says in verse 6, Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. And that is a wonderful passage of Scripture, church, that idolatry is around every corner and under every single rock. And the temptation is great that you would whore after those things and give your attention to those things instead of God. And what God does is he works in ways to make it harder for Israel to worship these idols. To frustrate their paths of going after idols. And I was praying this morning, God, would you hedge us in? Would you put up walls 
between us and idols that would deter us from the temptation to worship anything or everything other than God. And God does this as you read through Hosea for the redemption of his people. We read this when you get through the book of Hosea and you get to chapter 14 and this wonderful, glorious picture of God restoring his people back to him. But he had to put a hedge first. And he began to bring in these things. And it says in verse 7, as I was reading earlier of chapter 2 of Hosea, she shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them. And she shall seek them but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband for it was better for me than the now. And it's this picture of you're standing on this road and you see that idol at the end of the street. And in between you and that idol is a wall that's in your way and all kinds of obstacles. And what you are like I've got to get to that idol because that idol is going to meet my needs that idol is going to love me that idol is going to provide for me and so what do you do you put your shoulder down and you blast through that wall and you knock the things out of the way and you come before that idol and you stand down you bow down and you worship and then you are so disappointed because what you thought you would get you did not receive and that is the depth of our sinful wickedness, our unfaithfulness to the Lord God Almighty. And our sin requires judgment. Do you see why people don't like to read through some of the minor prophets? I can think back to a a man at another church who said, I don't like reading through the Old Testament. I don't want to read about God's wrath I don't want to be, read about him pouring out his wrath on people because of their sin. But you need to read the word of God. You need to hear God's jealousness for his people. You need to hear about the wrath of God upon mankind for their sin. Because if you do not understand it, you will not understand grace. You will not understand the mercy of God. Let's look at chapter 2 here, verses 8 through 10. And the second point is that our sin requires judgment. There was a required judgment. And as you read Hosea this week, when you read chapters 9 through 10, you will read about God who is holy and just. And this helps us understand why there's a requirement of justice here in chapter 2. In verse 2, Hosea, twice, he says, plead, plead. He's pleading with the people of God for repenting of their sins, to turn from their adultery, their whoring after the other idols. And it says here in verse 8 of chapter 2, And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Again, Hosea loved his wife. He gave her everything she needed. He cared for her. He protected her. Everything that she needed, she had in that marriage. And yet she thought that all the good she had came from other lovers. That's why she would return. Because she thought everything good she had was from these other lovers. And that's exactly what Israel did. They came to a point after God displaying his might and and taking them out of Egypt to the point where they think 
that they get their grain, their wine, their oil from a Canaanite god named Baal or Baal. And so Israel goes after that god and other gods seeking what God has already provided them in the promised land. And when you read the history of the nation of Israel and the word of God, you read of these kings. You read of kings like Ahab who would literally lead the nation to worship Baal or Asherah or Molech. Turn back to Deuteronomy one more There in Deuteronomy, on the far left of your Bible, chapter 18, again, to think of where God brought them from and what they went to and these warnings that he gave them to their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers. The reason, church, you need to read the Bible and pass it to your children and your grandchildren, lest you forget the Lord God Almighty. And so Deuteronomy, chapter 18, 18, verses 9 through 13. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. God tells them ahead of time. When you get there, those things that are happening are abominable to me, so beware. Verse 10, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires the dead, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Not just that their acts are, but they are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, you shall be blameless before the Lord, your God. Amen. And then when you read the nation of Israel and the generations that follow, they go after the idols. And they begin to live and act like the pagan nations around them. In 2 Kings chapter 16, Ahaz takes his son and sacrifices him to the fires of Molech. Ezekiel chapter 16 points out that the nation of Israel has done these things. And in Psalm chapter 106, verse 37, it says, They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. Do you understand that the idols that we worship, it's worshiping demons? If you're not worshiping God... You're worshiping these idols that are demons. It says they poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. But again, they've forgotten their God, and they're doing now what they think is right because of the nations around them. They've forgotten, as we read there back in Hosea 2.8, that they've forgotten that God's the one who's given them all those things, yet they're using those things to go worship idols they think are giving it to them. And just as God gave the nation of Israel children then, they came to the point that they thought it was right to take a child and put them in the molten, burning hands of an idol and sacrifice their child to a demon 
That is how far they went. This is why the need for judgment. And again, how far are we from doing the same? We must be reminded that God is holy. God is spotless. There is no darkness in him. There is no sinfulness. And we must not forget that God is just. He is the just judge. And he must, because he's holy and just, judge sin. He's required to do so. And he always judges perfectly. You see, God is holy and just, and he demands love and loyalty from his people. He demanded that of the nation of Israel. But because of their harlotry, he would put a stop to it. And because of our harlotry, he must put a stop to it. God told the, uh, Abraham back in the book of Genesis in chapter 12 and 15, he says, you're going to be a blessing to the nation. He has this covenant with Abraham, and he talks about a people and a name and how they bless the rest of the nations of the world, pointing to Jesus Christ. And what the nation of Israel did is they lied to all the nations around them. By chasing after their idols, they lied to the nations of the world around them not pointing out that God is good and God has loved them and God has saved them. Instead, they say, we've got to go after your idols because our God is not enough. Look at chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 of Hosea. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season and I will take away my wool and my flax which were to cover her nakedness Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. God would and did bring Israel down to their shame. And he took away everything he had given them. And all of the nations, those gods which they worshipped, turned on the nation of Israel. And God, by his sovereignty and by his providence, sent the Assyrians to sack the nation of Israel, to take them into captivity, to take away all the good things that he had blessed them with because their sinfulness required judgment. And you may be at this point, oh, woe is me. A sinner. And I'll tell you, that's a good place to be. Because if we do not understand the depth of our sin, if we do not understand that the depths of our sin require the holy justice, judgment of God, we will never understand God's mercy and grace. If you don't understand that you're a sinner and you've sinned greatly, that you've been born into this world with sin passed down from Adam, there is no way that you will understand God's grace and mercy to save you from your sins. 
And so let us look at this third point and look at chapter 2 here, verses 14 and 15, and 19 through 20. Everyone's taking a deep breath. Oh, we could talk about the undeserved mercy of God. That's where we want to be, and that's what we want, and that's what we desire, but we must. It's like when you, church, when you go from this place and you tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you tell them about the cross, and you tell them about the blood of Christ, if you just say God loves you, people in this world say, so what? They need to know their idolatry. They need to know the depths of their sin. They need to know that God will. And he does require judgment if they're ever going to look to the cross and see the grace through the blood of Christ, the mercy and forgiveness found in the Son of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. It says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. This is a wonderful passage here. These two verses here point back to when God showed his might and power. Remember the plagues that he put on on Egypt and on Pharaoh. And God saves the nation of Israel and he brings them out of slavery. And then he takes them through in the Red Sea when they thought that it was the end. And he brings them through and destroys Pharaoh's army. And he brings them out and to take them to this promised land that was uh, promised to them. That it was a wonderful moment. A very short moment where the the nation of Israel worshipped God. And they were joyful and they were thankful. But it wasn't long before they began to worship the idols. It wasn't long before they commanded Aaron, make us a god. I just threw the gold stuff in there and there's this golden calf that came out. And they began to worship idols. How quickly they were forgetting the hand of God, to bring them out of slavery and free them. Hosea chapter 6, verse 4 says, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Church, that is a description of our love of God. How the mist in the morning dissipates so quickly. How the dew on the grass when the sun comes up dries out. It's a description of how quickly our love fades because of our forgetfulness, because we do not invest our lives into God's word, and therefore we then chase after all the things of this world. How quickly our love fades for the Lord God Almighty. Look at Hosea chapter... As the nation of Israel continued to move to become towards a pagan nation, um, we see God's undeserved mercy. It says this in Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, And the Lord said to me, speaking to Hosea, Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. 
So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I will also be to you. Hosea goes and finds his wife, Gomer, who is committing adultery. And he buys her back. He spends money to buy his wife back to him and takes her and says, you're not going to act like this anymore. You're not going to live in that way. I'm going to be a loving husband to you. I'm going to continue to provide what I provided before. And in that, Hosea acts out the hope for the people of God. In a sense, a new exodus. As we see, he redeemed Gomer. And as we read this, Hosea purchasing his wife to bring her back to him, it points to Jesus Christ, church. Jesus Christ, who shed his blood to purchase his people, to make them his own. It's a wonderful picture. Ephesians chapter 2. It says this in verses 1 through 7, As you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you were once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, listen to this, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. A loving husband, one who went out of the city gates and paid a huge price to purchase his bride. We who have been people who are unfaithful, sinners by nature, running after one idol after the other were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin with his blood. And 1 John 4, verses 9 through 10 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Hear this. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Amen. That Jesus Christ 
bought the freedom from slavery to sin for his people, the church with his blood. He gave his life. He bore our sin, the one who knew no sin, at the cross so that we would become the righteousness of Christ. Many times we stay at the cross and we think of the blood of Christ and the, the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace. But we must never forget the empty tomb. And what's amazing is the Apostle Paul quotes Hosea as he writes to the church in Corinth. And he quotes a passage from Hosea chapter 13. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55. It says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only does Jesus Christ purchase his bride, the church for himself, with his blood, taking the wrath of God the Father meant for us, but he breathed his last. He died there, and on the third day he conquered death. And therefore, when it says death and destruction, that means eternal death for God's people who are saved by faith through Jesus Christ as Lord. You're not only forgiven of your sins, but you're given new life, life eternal, where one day your soul will be spotless and there will be no sin and you will have a new glorified body and you will be with the Lord forever. Amen. What a day that will be. In closing, Hosea says this, in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ today, it's because he's done it. You did not love him first, as we read in 1 John chapter 4. He loved you. And his Holy Spirit has revealed to you the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you believe because God has done it. Therefore, give glory to God of being a child of God today, that his mercy has been upon you. And lastly, in Hosea 3, verse 5, afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in the fear of the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. As the worship team comes forward, I would say to you as we approach this table this morning, if you are far off from the Lord God Almighty and you have no regard for the Lord Jesus Christ and you've had no desires in your heart ever to love him and today the Lord is stirring your heart. The Holy Spirit is pointing out to you the depths of your sin. And the word of God has shown you that your sin requires judgment. And that that judgment was taken care of at the cross where Jesus Christ has purchased you with his blood. And he has said it is finished and Jesus Christ is not dead, but he's risen from death to life. If the word of God has been speaking to you by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, all I can tell you today is to believe.
in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins. Turn to the Lord. Call out for mercy. And God will be the one who does the saving. And for all of my Christian brothers, sisters in Christ in this room, praise the Lord for his mercy that endures forever. Give thanks for his love for you before you ever loved him. Rejoice that his grace has abounded and been covered over you. And look forward with hope because Christ is returning. And you will be with him and the people of God around the throne for all eternity. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for even the heavy passages of Scripture. We thank you that you would give us the book of Hosea, that you would call Hosea to Mary Gomer to have those children, to go and buy her back as an example of what you do for your people. Father, I pray that this morning, as we approach the table to take bread and cup together that you told us to do, that we'd be reminded that our sins have been forgiven at the cross, but that we would also confess our sins before you, that we would again acknowledge your holiness, that we would grow in our understanding of the gospel of Christ and therefore grow in our love for you that would result in the fruit of righteousness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. And we thank you for Jesus Christ. Amen.